Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the podcast you see if you force your way into the mind of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles, one of whom might actually have creatures uh, nest in her attic for all the time she's spent up there. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Certain that the next time I see you, I'm going to do some kind of Jack Cousteau exploration of your attic, fully film it, chart it. I will survey the thing so that someone understands what is up there. So I will say that um, the inspiration for this intro this time actually came because I did, in fact, go up into my attic today. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> and you lived. I lived to tell the tale. Tale. Um, my cat was very concerned about me. She stood at the bottom of the ladder and looked up. <laughs> so the question that I have for, for everybody is, what items do you think would disappear from your house and end up in the attic? If you had a house elf taking things. Would it be along the style of creature, like their little mementos of past generations? Whatever you want. Um, I, and what I think the, the best way to do this is let's hold the question till the end of the, the podcast, like we do for, for all questions, queries, and quibbles. Correct. And so you can think about the, the random things that might end up in your attic or <laughs> uh, I don't know what the equivalent is in Florida. Uh, but Crawl space. Hmm. Uh, so we're on chapter 24 of the fifth book of Harry Potter. Uh, this, the chapter is Occlumency. We have some segments that we do here. Uh, there is a rapid fire recap, um, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer. We award house points. And then there are questions and queries, one of which we know already, which is kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we do. <laughs> well, to start things off, Sarah, this is an... I don't know what your strategy is with respect to this chapter and how long you think it will take to recap. It's got a bit going on. How it's got 26 it? pages. It's easy. <laughs> it's, it's one of the long chapters. It's not a lot of wandering around. No, fine. this is going to be fine for me. I'm going to be good. <laughs> Although I actually have had a couple of bad chapters. I'm going to try to just get back into the swing of things. We're going under two minutes. Mm-hmm. I think I know I can do that. Okay. So remedial summary. Yes. <laughs> Remedial well rapid-fire recap. There we go. Hey. All right. <laughs> Whenever you're ready, sir. So Creature was found in the attic, but there are suspicions. Better left unsaid, though, as Sirius's mood deteriorates quickly after Christmas. To be honest, Harry doesn't really want to go back to Hogwarts either, especially after Snape turns up at Grimmauld Place to tell him he's getting private lessons in occlumency from him. Uh, Sirius is about to blow a gasket and gets into it with Snape, only to be stopped from cursing the bejesus out of each other by the triumphant return of Mr. Weasley. Right before they leave, Sirius gives Harry a package for whenever he needs him. After a nausea-inducing ride on the night bus, they're dropped off at Hogwarts. Harry's about sick with dread for the first lesson, but he runs into Cho, who not so subtly informs him that the next Hogsmeade trip is on Valentine's Day. After a false start, he successfully asks her out. The headiness fades as he makes his way to Snape's office. Occlumency seals the mind against magical intrusion and influence, and Voldemort is a skilled legilimens, able to extract feelings and memories from another person. It's more nuanced and complicated than mind reading, all the more so because the usual rules don't seem to apply with Harry. Apparently, Voldemort hadn't known about the connection until the snake incident. Voldemort was also in the snake's mind and and felt Harry there, too. 
Snape starts by putting some of his own thoughts into the pensieve, then tells Harry he can do anything he can think of to stop him from breaking into his mind. And when he strikes, Harry's reliving memories of Privet Drive, the first years of Hogwarts and Cho, he hexes Snape without meaning to, and it's not as bad as it could have been for a first attempt. But um, the point is to clear his mind of memories and emotions, especially anger, which Harry considers impossible. Uh, Snape strikes again, and it's dragons in the mirror of Arizet and Cedric Diggory. Now Snape is pissed, convinced he's not trying, that he's weak. One more time, and it's Vernon and Dementors and the mystery hallway, which Harry now remembers. It's in the Department of Mysteries. Snape sends him away, telling him to practice clearing his mind. He finds Ron and Hermione in the library and tells them about the weapon in the ministry. Their discussion is cut short by the twins and their headless hats. Harry heads up to the dorm and is beset by horrendous pain and laughter and triumph. Something good has happened for Voldemort. Well done. One fifty-four seventy-eight. All right, back on track. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a an interesting kind of weird little chapter. We learn about a lot of new things in this chapter. <laughs> we learn a lot of new things. We learn a lot of aspects of how the world was working behind the scenes that was previously only being hinted at, or in many cases, actively obscured from the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, which will be useful knowledge going forward to the degree that what we have is complete or not misleading. Well, I was going to say maybe useful knowledge going forward it's it's still like this is an omniscient not narrator dropping something without how we got there or anything else so mm-hmm. eh, it's it's a thing also i didn't imagine either character looking like that now that i know who both of the people in the <laughs> picture of the chapter are mm-hmm. and i i don't think it's going to change anything like this isn't like a here's a depiction now this is canon this is this is still garbage. This is this is this is nothing nothing to do with anything. This was like a little regional play kind of thing of actors stepping in for roles of where you've previously seen it on Broadway. It's like there's an attempt. There's an attempt. This is the Punch and Judy version of Harry Potter. <laughs> well said. Yes. Yes. Um, my we, first. Yeah. What else are you wheezing about? <laughs> I was gonna say my first wheeze. It is not your I first right. wheeze. You just did a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was right about Occlumency. And, and... 100%. Like, mm-hmm. dead on. Mm-hmm. Had, you heard, um, had, had you heard the term in your prior explorations of, fa- of fantasy, or did you just tease that one out? No, it 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 was just a, like, it sounds like a cluding. This has got to, you know, this this seems like what it is. Uh, it's like occlusion and mancy, which is general for, like, every other spell thing. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, eh, this seems like a thing. Um, I have a wheeze that is uh, a question that doesn't need an answer, which is, what is Buckbeak's room like? <laughs> if Buckbeak is in there all the time... It's gross. We don't, we don't go in that room. It's gross. Uh, this also leads me down the, what does Buckbeak eat? Like, uh, what's a... Rodents, we know. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like, they were feeding him ferrets. It probably looks like the floor of an alvary. Yes. And are there, does Buckbeak produce pellets or, or? Yeah, well, his butt, his butt is a horse. I wonder if his guts are a horse. That, that brings in all sorts of veterinary questions <laughs> that, that, uh. Listen, I you know someone better, yeah, better suited to true. answer those than me. So please do not revisit these in half an hour. Um, I am going to make you sad, Sarah, uh, because it is JK Rowling's fault, which is, the definition of occlumency is defined. And then Rowling is like, no, it is not enough to, to in en passant make the dirty joke. I have to reiterate it and spell it out. 
for my readers because they're teenagers and they, they're too dumb to figure this out. Which is, the original one is the magical defense of the mind against external penetration, to which Harry then repeats to himself, defense against external penetration? It's, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um... So can I ask, though, like, and this is a, like a real question, if you were yeah. get, knowing what we know about Occlumency, right, and mm-hmm. what it is supposed to do, what what other word would you use? Shield your mind. I don't think that like accurately describes what's happening, though. Okay. Like when someone is like forcibly, I, like, I don't think it captures like what you're actually defending against. It, it almost is like, uh, I guess we're at the end of Ghostbusters where it's think of nothing because otherwise Gozer the Destroyer is going to summon something to, you know, be, be your doom. Aquamans is the thing that protects you. It allows you to obscure and block any kind of thoughts in your mind that someone else could make use of. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the reason that I talk, talk about shielding your mind is that's sort of how it's dealt with in other fantasy mm-hmm. uh, settings where... Uh, the illithid are coming by. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I like, I just, my, the only reason I'm pushing back on this, because, like, yes, obviously, penetration sounds dumb um, and sounds other things, but, <laughs> like, I, th- I think that, like, the reason it's being used is that we're trying to communicate that this is, like, a violent act on the mind, not just, like, yeah. random mind reading, not just, like, observing, like, it is a violation. It, it, I think it's making a very sharp point about mind reading being a violation mm-hmm. uh where i think other other things that people have encountered it like in in the like gestalt aren't like you know there's sort of x-men and and a couple of other things where you know you get a sense of what people are but like actually thinking about like what mind reading is is such an invasive invasion of privacy that i think that that to your point, yes, I think it was, it's making a necessary point. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's interesting, t- too, that we get this discussion of, like, well, mind reading doesn't even really cover what is actually happening here, right? Um, and so anyway, I just bring that up because, like, yeah, I, like, I, <laughs> I get the point about <laughs> penetration, <laughs> but I also don't think it's a, I don't think it's the wrong word to use. Um, sure. I, I, I agree with you. I think invasive and a whole lot of other things are going to have similar. There, there are no con, there's nothing that you can go with that doesn't have a similar connotation. Sorry, Spencer. I, we've cut you off a couple of times. <laughs> no, you're right. I just very much agree with you both that I was, I was always kind of curious, but there's so many star Wars, for example, when Jedi just kind of mind control people, it's just treated as just a normal, you know, light side thing to do, whatever else. It's always been struck me as an incredibly violative thing to do, so much that one of my favorite depictions of, well, analysis of mind control or influencing on people's minds or even mind reading was actually Jessica Jones and Kilgrave. Did you guys ever watch that? Watch those ones? Mm-mm. Show, show's fine. It's even pretty good. But it really goes heavily into the idea that if someone can actually kind of control or influence your mind, it's not something somebody just walks away from just unchanged from or just not viewing as a traumatic act. Yeah, it- and uh, to bring up uh, one of the, the best movies of all time, Men in Black sort of deals with this as in a, like, this is, how, how are you so casual about yeah. just doing this to, like, groups of people, random people? Like, you know, what are the effects? Ah, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's like, mm, casually no, it's saying, not. Casually saying, oh, yeah, there's a medical exam that needs a new memory now. It's like, <laughs> what? 
And you know, it is telling that like, while we're a little blasé with the the memory stuff in the Harry Potter world, um, the actually like going in and controlling someone's mind is one of the unforgivable curses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, I had to look up what a Macintosh was. Um, and I did too. once I, I, I don't know why you're making funny faces at me, Sarah. You're like, also you... disappointing. <laughs> oh. Yeah, fair. Um, I, I'm not familiar with all the terms for, for all sorts of outerwear. Uh, and you know, that this is, you know, one of those things that had I paid more attention to fashion, I would know. Um, I, I, it, it's sort of somewhere between, a uh, trench coat and an opera coat, maybe. Um, and that this is being worn with striped pajamas is on brand. Um, <laughs> Distinctly waterproof. Key feature. Yes. Sometimes known yeah, as a plastic I, Mac. Uh, I don't know that it's always particularly waterproof. Uh, a lot of the ones that I saw claim the water repellents. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it is it is a very British thing. Um, that is true. Spencer. Hmm. Uh, do you recall the name of the night bus driver? No, I remembered it was not Stan, um, but I do not actually remember the name of the driver. Or, okay, so whoever that is, I guess. The driver is Ernie. The conductor, sorry. But, but yeah, is, so. Is, we're, we're, we're talking about Stan here? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. so Stanchion Pike, is his name Pol Pol? <laughs> no, no, it isn't. <laughs> Are is there sure? a T because... in there? <laughs> no, it's Stan Shun Pike. But if you put it together, it's Stanchion Pike. Which... Oh. It, it is. Pole. I did not think about that, BJ. I'm going to have a hard time not thinking about that now. <laughs> and this he is... is... This, this is the wheezes that I am here for. <laughs> now we're in, in prime BJ territory. But Stan Shun Pike is the conductor from the third book yeah. as well. Yeah. So... To continue with things that, that I am here for, mm. the price of this bus ride is wild. It is almost a galleon. Very fast. But sure, it's very fast, but I I wouldn't have expected Ron to have stu- two sickles to rub together, let alone 11 to, to pay his fare. I mean, I, you know, maybe this is uh, Potter subsidized or, or, you know, maybe the twins are are uh, selling off some of their later inventions. But like every other book, Ron doesn't seem, or, or the Weasleys don't seem to have money to buy books. It is perhaps telling that he does say specifically this is his first time he's ever taken this means of transportation. So this may be normally outside of the realm of what they ponder, but due to now dangerous events that are afoot, they are taking the fastest and safest means of travel. That is, that is fair. That is fair. Um uh, again, uh, I'm going to to pose a wheezing question that does not need to be answered, but that is, what happens to a passenger that doesn't have fare? Because if they're kicked off at any point, they're kicked off at a completely random place. Um, and it's also funny that the night bus seems to be people that fail at magic. So you're basically <laughs> causing the the... The wizards that aren't particularly good at wizarding, uh, who I would say are probably the destitute of wizards to just pay through the nose to get anywhere in any sort of reasonable fashion. Uh, BJ, I don't, I don't know if you're saying this in a negative way. This tracks for what we know about this world. If, that, if I, your theory seems yeah. perfectly accurate. <laughs> They're not I, super I guess... interested in making things easier for... <laughs> oh, yeah. 
It's like you're you're close to being a muggle. You have to pay. Um, mm-hmm. Harry and Cho, I, I have a capital O-O-F uh, next to their interaction. That was uh, kind of rough to read. <laughs> uh, but, however, this is one of the few places that Esprit d'Escalier actually worked because he figured it out at the bottom of the stairs and she wasn't too far <laughs> away for him to go back on oof, the whatever he's doing with his life. I mean, was, I, uh, I I guess in defense, he has a lot of other things to be thinking about, but that, this wasn't that, going to go well that, uh, under the best so of circumstances. I, I, I'm, uh, willing to give, I'm willing to give the guy a lot more rope than BJ is, but here he was straight up attempting to hang himself with it in terms of all he was doing with it. Really was. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty impressive. Uh, I think that's all I have uh, for this chapter, even though... Uh, <laughs> I love I feel that like... all of your wheezes are pre the actual meat of the chapter. <laughs> the, the wheezes are never in the meat I know, of the chapter. But this oh, one was really stark. This one... <laughs> You, like, just ended at the door to Snape's office. <laughs> I mean, that, that that seems like a reasonable place to end it. However, I mean, I do, I do want to give an honorable mention, though not a full wheeze, to mm. the headless hat. The headless hats are pretty... I had to put them in, the, in my limited recap space because they are charming and kind of a nifty bit of magic. Is there a better endorsement of how what an incredible idea and incredible accomplishment these are that Hermione just pretty much outright says, that's really clever, and I want to think about how they just did that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be angry at them later and think whether they broke a rule, but for right now, I need to research. <laughs> so we know, that nearly headless... to things. <laughs> <laughs> we know that nearly headless Nick can sort of interact with the physical world a little bit. What happens if he puts on a hat? This hat? <laughs> anyway... With that, I will turn it over to Bobby's notes. <laughs> I like that. Well, I like the idea that nearly headless Nick provided the seed funding for this particular project. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> Can you get Cannon. me all the way? Like I'm almost. I just want to join the hunt. Hundreds of years now, modern technology, magical technology can finally bring this about. <laughs> uh, well, starting off for uh, newbies notes, creature happy is a dangerous way to start any chapter. Because nothing good's coming of that. Particularly when he's, like, leering, you know, at Harry with not just disdain. I'm almost willing to assume that he actually is now in the loop that Harry's and Voldemort's connection exists, or maybe even getting closer, and is down for that. So which is worse for Harry? Dobby or Creature being happy? I mean... It's a... <laughs> I, I, cr- 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 creature. It's a good question. Motiv- motivations are very different. Outcomes. <laughs> uh, Dobby has, generally speaking, worked out well for Harry. Other people around Harry? <laughs> but Harry, great. Yep. Uh, I played a little game with myself of when Molly Weasley came up the stairs and said someone was there for Harry, of where I stopped, and I thought to myself who I would most likely think it was was at the bottom of the stairs waiting for Harry. Snape did not enter anything resembling that list of possibilities. <laughs> Snape was the straight-up Spanish Inquisition to me in terms of just complete inability to see that coming. I didn't know Snape left the school. I just assumed he lived there 24-7. I think the most... Sorry, go ahead. No, please. Uh, I... I, Well, you might be getting there, and I don't want to take away your uh, thunder. Well, um, while that was happening, uh, chess wars, the pieces fighting each other on the board, 
I would I would adore that. I would demand that there's a certain number of random number god that's attached, so that even on defense, a piece might win, which seems to be what's happening, given that they're actually brawling on the board. So, excitement with every move. Even a 99% chance can go against you. It's very like Star Wars. Uh, the, the chess thing that you mm-hmm. sort of briefly see, mm-hmm. uh, it has sort of that feel. Uh, also, History of the War- World Part 1. <laughs> very good call. With uh, the, yeah, during the French Revolution uh, chapter, right? Yep. Pawns jump queen. Um, it's interesting here we get a, a really old trope that does fit well in the text of how people never really get over high school. Because when mm. Snape and Sirius are going mm-hmm. at each other, I don't believe it. I'm, I think we're watching live how these two maybe interacted or maybe how Snape would have wanted to interact at the time going back, what what is it, 20 years ago now? Mm-hmm. So I want to jump back a little bit and... Uh, go to Snape, I think, might also really dislike Umbridge. And we get, I don't, it might have been a direct uh, piece of information from Dumbledore that there's a don't tell anybody what you're doing, least of all Umbridge. Mm-hmm. But I, I, it feels like a little bit more than just resentment that she's teaching defense against the dark arts. This feels like the reader is supposed to start getting hints that Snape kind of sucks, but he's a good guy. Like, I mean, there's sort of obvious things that, like, uh, Dumbledore trusts him and, you know, he's sort of, you know, been feeding information. But, like, he's still in that, like, we don't know where he is and everybody distrusts him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is sort of one of the early s- stages, and I'm sh- I imagine we'll get a lot more, where it's just like, oh, no, Umbridge is terrible. And Snape doesn't like her, so I think it's an, I think it's an important moment because eventually Harry and Snape need to actually get over some of their issues and become closer allied. And having a common enemy in the form of Umbridge is a way of bringing that about. I'd also say, BJ, I very much agree that I think there's further evidence in this chapter. I'd tie it back to when Umbridge kind of steps in on Snape's class. Yeah, and Snape is institutionally pissed at her being there because mm-hmm. whatever else we want to say about Snape, the man knows his job. As yeah. a teacher, he's very knowledgeable, and clearly almost everyone other than Harry is getting something out of his courses. Even Neville seems to be getting something out of his courses when he's not destroying things. So the idea that someone would second-guess him in that manner, in a way that's opposing someone he deeply respects Dumbledore, yeah, Snape is on the side of our heroes in more than one way, and I think that includes with respect to Umbridge, what we've seen so far. Yeah, and I guess this is, and I sort of mentioned this, but like I think bringing that, that up is it's more than just like you're doubting my prowess as a wizard and a teacher and all those other things. This this is a you're I am institution. Uh, but but also like I'm willing to skirt around the rules that Umbridge is trying to set up mm-hmm. to do something for the forces of good. I think it's also a little bit too of and I mean this is related, but I think it's also a little bit too of like Snape clearly does take pride in in at least knowing what he's teaching, even if we might question some of his good point his methods. Um, mm-hmm. And she's so clearly incompetent as a teacher, and in fact, like that. I think that yes, that he takes like personal offense at her, not just taking his job, but Doing teaching in life. the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the issue of Snape. I forget at times what a master he is at spotting weakness and moving to exploit it immediately, which is ironic given his own history of being bullied in the past. I'm sure he was subject to that. 
but he hones in on Sirius's weakness in a heartbeat. Not that Sirius is making any effort to hide it whatsoever, but Snape hits it like a laser with respect to his feelings of being useless locked away in a cage. Uh, the fact we get Snape now as a separate teacher of... Uh, so one of you who can pronounce words, pronounce the, ma- the magical subject matter that we're now exploring by means of Snape? Occlumency. Occlumency. I would have gotten that on the eighth try. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snape as a teacher is interesting, of where he's very knowledgeable, he's very skilled, and he does seem like he wants Harry to learn, not just purely because Dumbledore told him to. It's fun to watch that work through the lens, watch a competent person work through the lens of teaching somebody that they actively despise, and unpacking and analyzing it from that perspective. Because he is clearly wanting Harry to learn, and is clearly trying to teach Harry to learn. At the same time, he clearly does not mind if this is at least a little bit painful and embarrassing to Harry every step <laughs> of the way. Uh, also, the remedial potions burn is great, and it is w- perfectly timed by Snape, and also perfectly true. It's the best cover ever. No one, as we see, by means of, was it Zachary Thomas? Zachary no, Smith, maybe, but it Zachary doesn't Smith, matter. Yeah. yeah. No one's going to doubt that that, that, that's, that that cover story to any degree. Yep. Uh, what you guys, what you guys think of the line about uh, Potter and his dad being so arrogant that criticism is always bouncing off them? That felt, it felt like it came from a certain place of pain just because, again, all the reasons that Snape hates Harry's dad. Also felt to a certain measure accurate in terms of how Harry goes about things. Yeah, it's I mean, interesting. Go ahead, BJ. I'm sorry. I was going to say, we see a little bit more of Harry's headspace. So uh, there is that. Uh, but Sarah, I'm curious what you your two cents were. Well, I, I was kind of in the same direction. Like, it's interesting because we get into into Harry's thoughts and we see his, like, his insecurities and how those interact with the world. But there is a sense in which... Harry will Harry will go through carnivalesque loops to ascribe causation of something to what did not cause it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, when we're in his head, it's weird because it frequently looks like insecurity. It frequently looks like messing stuff up. It frequently looks like not knowing the right things or doing the right things. But it's... I think that there is a grain of truth there that we almost always see it kind of mismatched where he's pinpointing what's gone wrong Mm -hmm. and what has actually gone wrong. And so like criticism kind of does slant off of him because he comes at all of this sort of sideways. Uh, Yeah. Sarah, I think you summarized it perfectly there. We get to see the insecurities that are an explanation, a direction, a, a source of complexity to Harry's character. But from an outside observer, just looking at his actions, Snape's read looks like it's 100% correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, the more we know about Harry's dad, the more he seems like Fred, George, and Hermione kind of rolled into one (laughs) as a, like, he was the student that everybody was going to hate. And the... Well, except people... for all of the, except for the ones who loved him, right? It's it's going to be a very polarizing, we, yeah, figure. We, we have not met anybody that was indifferent to him. Yes, every opinion we've had is <laughs> as open and as loud as it was twenty years ago. He's feels a lot like Malfoy. Snape would certainly say so. Uh, he had like a bunch of like toadies that followed him around. I mean, they happened to be the people whose side we're on. But like, other than that, it, it'd be really interesting to get 
perspective from other students in that class. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and on that point, snivelous, snivelous. I'm guessing that one was thrown around quite a bit back in the day in terms of uh, a reference to our good Professor Stape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting to have the uh, it casually come out that point number one, Snape and Lucius Malfoy hang out. Point number two, Lucius Malfoy recognized Sirius. Did we know that? I don't think so, but... It, it, it was wouldn't... worried that Draco might. Uh, yeah, I feel like they're of the age where that wouldn't be super surprising. I, I, I want to say we already decided or knew that Lucius was a little bit older, I think. I thought he was a little bit younger, but I could absolutely younger. be wrong on that. There's but, a little bit I, of a gap. Yeah, that that's what that's what I remembered because I feel like Harry's dad was young when he had Harry. Yes, was they, why I was they, older. they had Harry right out of Hogwarts. So essentially, Lucius having a kid in high school would be the funniest short story <laughs> in the Harry Potter universe. Um, I thought about that one. Sure. Yeah, I'm down for it. I mean, if he is younger, that that's what it has to has be. Has to be. So, yeah, I, I could be I could be wrong on that. Let's <laughs> I hope that's a thing cuz that would be really really funny. God. Um, but either way, presumably they they would know about like their alter forms. So, wouldn't be super surprising. Cuz not... there's no way that they didn't shove it in everybody's faces. Well, sure. Uh, but it, particularly the first part I found interesting is it, it raises a question of we've seen Snape ingratiate himself with the Malfoys before, and now we're hearing it said that he's hanging out with them quite a bit, and Sirius is using it to cast aspersions on him that, oh, look at you, play, playing with the enemy. But given what we know about Snape, it's like, is he actually just been using this as a source of information for the good guys for, like, years now? I mean... Is he flirting with both causes for the sake of being the same role that he played back in the war? Unclear. Don't know. But... Uh, I also totally share Harry's concerns that Sirius is going to do a dumb before this book is over because they've been building that up at every every possible opportunity that this is a guy that he is already just a, a boiler that is waiting to go off and he has been kept on complete lockdown with all release valves sealed up for the entire damn book when this blows it isn't going to be pretty and I'm very concerned like Harry is that it isn't that it is, it's not going to go out well or at least it's going to have think repercussions. it's going to be serious I think it now, but yes, yes, I do. I think it's going to be serious. <laughs> I, I really do forget time, times how much Tonks can change her appearance. I'd gotten used to her just kind of altering her hair or just little aspects of cosmetics. Here, it like she physically alters her height, age, build, attire. She's a straight up, you know, mystique chameleon in terms of what she can do. I had forgotten that detail. I also didn't remember the night bus being quite this destructive before. Maybe it was because Harry was in bed. <laughs> but as an att- if, if I was a personal liability attorney, I would be sitting on that thing just throwing cards at people as they're being whiplashed <laughs> back and forth around the bus as we go between any destination. People vomiting, people applauding as they throw the vomiting people off the bus. <laughs> I mean, I also think to the Tonks point that it needs to not be a big thing in the book because unless it plays a significant role later on, mm-hmm. it's going to be one of those like, well, why doesn't Tonks do X, Y, Z? And you sort of run into to other problems uh, like the time turner and some other like way overpowered magic that can't be a thing. Yeah. Bre- breaks plot. Breaks danger. Uh, Luke... Deus ex Tonkina. <laughs> that one actually got me. <laughs> <laughs> PJ, that was... 
credit where it's due, man. You impress. Uh, I appreciate the constant thread with Lupin. He is always going to be the most reasonable one in almost every situation that he can be in. Sirius wanted to just straight throw down. Everybody else is tense. Harry's looking to go, looking to ride, and Lupin just pulls him aside and says, "Dude, Snape knows his job. You need to learn this. He's a good teacher. This, and that's a necessary thing. I think it helps Harry a little bit, even though Harry is not receptive to it right now at this given time." But this is the role that Lupin always plays. He's the one to give you good advice and try to encourage you on, sometimes in spite of yourself. Uh, I once... Uh, Hermione is still on with the hats. I'd almost for, I, I'd almost hoped that she'd gotten beyond this. There wouldn't oh, absolutely be not. <laughs> every single spare moment knitting elf hats. But here we are once again. Uh, meanwhile, I also thought at one point that uh, Zachary Smith, you're right, I wrote it down here, might be something resembling a balanced or nuanced character to call out some kind of flaws in our hero's thought processes or plans or just, you know, sense of self-importance. But no, his role is to be a shit. Mm-hmm. I understand that now. It's taken me some time. I had hopes for him. But no, he is a one-note shit. I'm glad you've gotten there. Welcome to the club. It took me a so while. So you're saying he's a brown note. No, I'm not going to give you credit for that one. I'm not. You tried, but no, I'm not going to give you credit for that one. They're all not. They're not all going to hit, BJ. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hermione is the consistent, always wingman when it comes to Cho. Uh, thank you, dear God. Thank you for grabbing Ron by the collar and getting him the hell out of that situation as fast as possible. Because Harry was going to damn near fuck it up enough by himself. He didn't need help. Or to be made fun of afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which made me realize that Harry's not been the worst to Ron and Hermione, which is surprising. Not as much this book. It, it has helped. It has helped that some of the times that he was the worst to them is when he is separated from them. Whereas this book, they've been taking pains to get them back to him as soon as possible. Yeah. I mean, I guess I meant like in terms of their maybe budding romance. Oh, oh, oh. No, yeah. he, has, he basically hasn't commented on it. Which is about as good a thing as he can do, I think, at this point. <laughs> yes. So. Fair. Yes. Meanwhile, on the subject of Harry and Cho, I feel physically called out for the level <laughs> of just incompetent thickness that we see displayed from Harry here. To the point, I turned to Bridget, girlfriend, been with her for 10 years, and said, oh dear, you know, at least I'm not that thick. And she looked at me, sighed, patted me on the shoulder, and said, well, you have gotten better. <laughs> it, BJ, like you said, like you both said, painful, utterly painful, Thank Christ she was waiting at the top of the stairs just for us to be able to have some out from that situation. I will remind you, Spencer, that the in response to uh, a certain somebody telling you that you should visit said girlfriend over uh, a break, you, you your response was like, huh? What? Why? BJ, and BJ, thank you once again that I've been in a relationship for 13 years after that. <laughs> <laughs> You played, an, you played an integral role. You, you freaking drove me down. All credit where it's due. Uh, for, for those that are not in the loop on that story, BJ, BJ and two of the rest of us, uh, three of the rest of us, all drove down to Florida to go see my girlfriend on the first Christmas break after we were dating. I was like, oh, Spencer, you have a girlfriend. You should visit her during a break. Wait, what? Concept had not crossed Let's go to mind. Florida. Good okay, Lord. I guess that'll be fun. We did not see Spencer for the rest of that trip. Uh, it, it is really interesting to unpack why Snape has the pensieve. Because we've previously seen Dumbledore use the pensieve for the sake of basically spending extra time with certain memories, exploring them. Snape is pointedly not doing that. 
Snape is removing memories from his head, storing them, keeping them away while he works with Harry, and then returning them to his head afterwards. Mm -hmm. The implication there is that if there's any kind of blowback, if there's any kind of whether Harry might be able to hack into his mind too, he doesn't want Harry to see these. Or maybe he doesn't want the Dark Lord to see these. He doesn't want someone to see these while they're doing their you know, work with occupants. That is interesting. That is my assumption, but I find that very interesting to kind of unpack and think about. PJ, you're, you're thoughtful. Yeah, I think I know what it is. Can you tell me? Or is it... Absolutely not. God damn it. <laughs> Take as a compliment that I may be on the right track with something. Uh, but it, he even does it three times, too. He's pulling a whole collection of, of memories out of his head to not want to be out there and the, be safely so, away to immediately return after they're done. So he's going to do this, the, like, the, every time. Mm-hmm. The, the, the things that, that I think are... That I can tell you is my bet as to a chunk of it is all of the interactions that he had with Harry's dad because sure. that just like doesn't want no to one needs to be in that like see that mental state the other thing is I wonder if the pensive is a cheat to successfully getting in this occlumency and whatever the hell that other spell is because that <laughs> doesn't have an obvious pronunciation in that mental okay Legilomancy, you said? Mm-hmm. Okay. BJ, you may be perfectly right. I mean, Snape's advice to Harry is basically clear your mind. Why not pull the active ones out? Yeah. Or the, and, most li- the loudest ones out. I mean, this seems like a cheating way of doing things. Um, and also sort of gives, like, what happens to things that you put in the pensive and don't take back out uh, kind of things, uh, among other questions. Uh, but we can save those for later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Sarah, as you said, legilimency and its limits and the Dark Lord's particular knack for them. I feel like we've unlocked a whole new cipher on the world now, understanding a little bit more about how this works. Even this description about time and space mattering and how Harry is an exception in that regard due to their own personal connection. We have an explanation. We, yeah. ha- we, we have a means of better understanding events we've had previously and now going forward. Um, it- and also, I, I we need to take a pause, and I should have done this during uh, Wheezes, that... We have to be thankful that that J.K. Rowling came up with something else because illegimency is right there. <laughs> you know that was draft one that. instead of occlumency. <laughs> um, a bridge too far even for her editors. I do very much appreciate her taking the time to say how this works and how it doesn't. With Snape basically saying, mm-hmm. "Mind, mind's not a book. You can't just leaf through the pages. You can't." mine for the information that you necessarily want to get no matter how skilled you are the main advantage of being skilled is being able to control the moment and being able to trust the information you get yeah i mean it's surprising that we've gotten to the crux of the matter so quickly uh this is an interesting one of where i'd gotten kind of blasé on the subject of voldemort's name because we've had two mm-hmm. notable people working with the order or noble people of particular ability that are just indifferent to it in the form of Mad-Eye in the form of Dumbledore. They don't give a shit. Snape's a particularly powerful individual. He's a particularly trusted individual. But he responds more aggressively than any person we've ever had to the saying of the of, of Voldemort there in front of him. I mean, you might say he's had a markedly different experience. That is my assumption, <laughs> yes, entirely. That given his own very... <laughs> Dark past? Quite literally, yes. Uh, it is a much more active thing to do. It is much more, you know, speak the devil's name and he's there with him, given that he is literally bearing the mark of Cain. Um, let's see here. I 
It is interesting that, that, that Snape is telling that the best of their conclusions is Voldemort has only recent, uh, recently realized this kind of intimacy of connection that he can possibly use it to mine information from Harry. Because it feels like they've been they've known about this longer than Voldemort has then, or at least about the potential of this. Uh, mm-hmm. Particularly given how much they've been keeping Harry kind of in a box with respect to it for a while. So I think in some ways they may even be a little bit surprised that Voldemort has only recently kind of tapped into this network. I mean, but also uh, there wasn't something that immediately fell out of one of Voldemort's plans Mm -hmm. that was affected. Whereas either Harry displayed a little bit of agency with the snake that we know or don't know about via uh, Mr. Weasley, or that Mr. Weasley didn't die was a surprise to Voldemort and very unexpected because like how else... You know, this, this yeah. he was presumably in a position where he would have otherwise died. Yes. And, you know, this is this is one of those, uh, it's a good thing it wasn't D-Day, because... Uh, yeah, this this is Churchill letting the town get bombed so that they wouldn't reveal the truth of the Enigma machine kind of thing. What secrets, what's, what do you do to have to maintain a secret like this? What, and what, what necessary suffering do you have to allow to occur? Yeah. Uh, uh, Sarah, you referenced it, but Snape's compliment is actually a compliment. It's a Snape compliment, but <laughs> not as poor as it might have been is almost high praise coming from this man. Mm-hmm. It doesn't last very long, let's be clear, but... Do- doesn't, even survive, doesn't even survive into round number two, but for what it was, that, that is a legitimate recognition of something right there. Uh, hmm? And it's not surprising, too. It sh- it sh- it's not surprising that, like, Harry at least has some natural talent at this the letting go of his emotions is spoiler gonna make this real hard for him but it's it's not surprising that he has some natural talent at this because again um we saw that he was kind of the only student able to fight the um and i'm forgetting what the imperious curse mm-hmm. with mad eye which d- mm-hmm. doesn't uh, even doesn't, doesn't snape even like specifically point that out is that you know you you made it through the imperious curse before kudos yeah, he does yeah that, that's something that's going to be useful going forward. Which, hell, that's another Snape compliment there. He's recognizing prior skill on, on, on Harry's part. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the best of buds. I see it now. <laughs> uh, I imagine that Snape would be the perfect dueling partner for Harry. It would be... <laughs> he would come away bruised, but, like, Snape would, would be the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher that is essentially dodgeball. Uh if you can dodge, if you can dodge, dodge a wrench. if you can dodge uh, Avocavadra, you can dodge <laughs> anything. I, I feel like I want Lupin to teach it on like you know Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and let Snape do it on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And between those, Harry will be set. Uh, Sarah, like you said, Harry's possibly single greatest weakness is emptying himself of all emotion. He can't he has do never it. done that. No, I don't think he can. He I also has no interest saying. in doing it. Like, yeah. It, doesn't help who, who's asking him to do it. Yes. Uh, Snape in particular is a person that just being within a 30 meter radius of Harry is already generating emotion. Uh, we've noted previously that the only people in this world that ever invent things are Fred and George. We have further evidence of that fact. Uh, and yes, the Voldemort maniacal laughter, uh, the timing, the voice, the prickly scar that, that Harry has when he's, re- when he's realizing the secret associated with the Department of Mysteries, I wonder whether these are connected. I wonder to what degree Voldemort is tapping in. I wonder what degree, given the timing of the moment and how much Harry's pointedly saying when he thinks about the Department of Mysteries, his own scar starts to hurt. 
to what degree is Voldemort now realizing something about that room because Harry did? Or to what degree they're realizing at the same time? Because Harry even talks about it. A voice comes out of him and makes that statement to uh, Snape. So keeping track of that one because that one may be relevant later. But for right now, so we spent a lot of time with a few characters here. Yeah. Who wins, who loses this chapter? So I, it's a little bit of a weird chapter for it. Um, I I think that the winner of this chapter is Cho. Huh. Fair. I would have gone Snape, but Cho's a... Cho, I like Cho's the choice. It, 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 Cho has no downside here, other than a brief moment, which would she would think about for years later as the most embarrassing <laughs> moment of her life, if Harry had just ended with what she thought he was going to end with. Yes. But he didn't. I so, think... Narrowly. Narrowly, yeah. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think that, that Cho actually, like... She set out to do a thing in this chapter. She got it done. <laughs> it worked out. Um, mm-hmm. In ways that, like, I think that Snape has an okay chapter, but I also, like, Snape is always a tough one because he's so terrible. <laughs> he, he's so terrible, but he's also just so unhappy, it seems that's, like. That's does. really what it is, is that, like, he's not getting any, even when he's, like, berating Harry or competently explaining something or getting some punches in on Sirius. Like there's no joy anywhere in any of it. Um, Snape at his most happy reminds me of somebody basically saying, good. Now you feel as terrible as I do. Yeah. And I'm reluctant to award that winner except in (laughs) dire circumstances. He's a little bit of Marvin. Mm. Um, Mm, Actually. Yes. In many ways. um, So loser. I feel like Sirius had a really rough chapter, and I think it's going to get rougher before he dies. Um, yeah, that that seems like Spencer. That seems like where you've been pushing. Like you, you imagine I'm him worried. ending this book. I'm, I have. I don't know one way or the other. This is not like a. I'm bringing in a spoiler, but like. Well, I mean, I think that you could also just use that statement in the like holistic sense. Sure. He's, he's going to get. It's going to get worse before he dies. Yes. There aren't too many Christmases in his future, so... <laughs> I, I, um, I, do, I do think this that Christmas will be his high point of the book. Yeah, it's he seems to be having a really... Yeah, I agree that he's having a really rough chapter. I think we might have awarded him... No, I think he... I guess he got winner he the got last the chapter. For, he did. For, the, for Christmas. And, but he also, I mean, it was in quick succession, he got loser and winner when some... Anyway. Yeah. Um, for, for a character that comes, comes across as manic-depressive... That works. That he's yes. winning and losing chapter by chapter. Yeah, so yeah. I'm I'm good with Sirius as a loser. Um, the end, the very end of the chapter for Harry is a little rough, but like the idea of Voldemort being happy about something, I guess, is actually less person, like individually rough for Harry than globally rough for. I was going to say everyone. things happening with Voldemort seem better for harry than having to take a personal class from snape that's true so mm. that's true the, his his chapter may have gone up a little bit when voldemort <laughs> came in what? Uh, and at least he does have a he he has an explanation for what is happening which he didn't right. really have before so like i i, w- I would note that one, one one thing that struck me surprisingly hard to make me feel legitimately sorry for harry this is the first time he has ever thought man i don't want to go back to hogwarts yeah, that's true. That is uniquely bad. That's true. Um, yeah, but he went back and like it's not 
Got to, got to it's date. fine. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like him dreading to go back to Hogwarts is more like, I don't want to take this class rather than like it's lost its charm no, for me. It, it, yeah. Present, presently is, un, is, is unpleasant. Yes. Yeah. Um, questions. Uh, now, well, the best part well, of... One last nominee just for good. Arthur yeah. has a damn good day. He does. But, it, yeah, Cho. Cho wins. Yes. <laughs> uh, questions. I got, I, I got one unless you want to start, BJ. I have some. Go for it, Spencer. Uh, is there... Can one study such subjects as occupancy and legilimency, whatever it is, at Hogwarts normally? No. They are not courses that are taught. No, um, they are not. And I also, I think that there is an implication that, well, so I think I think it is true that you don't really need occlumency without the threat of legilimency, right? Like occlumency doesn't really serve any purpose except as a specific defense for this one thing. I think that there's an implication that legilimens, people who are skilled at legilimency, that there is like a natural... There's something natural about having the ability to do it. I'm not sure that it's something that you could, from zero to 60, actually learn without the like natural implica- uh, inclination towards it. This, this feels like a lecture, a couple of lectures in advanced defense against the dark arts for, you know upper level classes or whatever. Yeah, the, yeah, there might be a sort of like independent study on like, hey, Voldemort's probably going to break into your mind. Mm-hmm. I, with you describing it that way, it per, legitimacy is the perfect focal point magic for Voldemort, given just how he carries himself and how he yes. rules over his domain and his Death Eaters, while at the same time, as a devil agent, I can see why Stape would get really good at occlumency real damn quick or mm-hmm. you know, die. Legitimacy also feels like the perfect way to continue to manipulate the people that are already sort of on your side, like, mm-hmm. or are, are on your side to, like, get that whole tighter, uh, like, allay any fear. Like, if yeah. you know what people are afraid of, or what, you know, people are excited by, etc. I um, also, I want to go back for just a second. I'm I'm not sure, now that I'm thinking about it more, I'm not sure that legitimacy is necessarily, maybe you can learn it from soup to nuts. I think it's actually probably more that it is a sort of dark magic. They might be teaching it at um, Karkaroff's Thermistry. school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they do not teach it at Hogwarts. Gotcha. So I have a question that, that doesn't need to be answered, but needs to be posed. What percentage oh, of alliterative names do you think there are in the entire Hogwarts universe? <laughs> Out of all of the, oh, I think it's probably... Like sixty percent. I was gonna go. I think it's probably like two thirds. Was yeah. yeah like, <laughs> no lie. Um, the the more salient question that I have is, when do we think, or when did Dolores go to Hogwarts? Um, that's a good question. I can probably look up how old she is if you want to explain I mean, why you're asking said question. <laughs> well, it it just it sort of ends up being like an interesting. Thing because like who she knows and who she doesn't know and who's interacted with her before ends up being like more and more weird the more that she's like a part of Hogwarts mm-hmm. and it's like if she's younger than basically any of the teachers that we have it's a it's weird and if she's older than them it's also weird um, you know did she 
come through when Dumbledore was still a teacher? Did she come through when he was early headmaster? Like, all of those just sort of end up being, uh, like, an odd thing in general. So. Yeah, I'm not getting her specific age from the wiki. Hold on. I've got Hogwarts years here. Um, oh, that's correct. <laughs> Sorry, that made me. I looked at something different and it said until 1998. And I was like, that is not right. <laughs> um, yikes. It it doesn't say specifically, but hold on. Career at the ministry. Um, before reaching the age of 30, she became head of the office. So she rose quickly. Yeah. And like ruthlessly. Um, but it, yeah, it does not... Okay. It just like I don't know a, specifically. Um, I mean, I could also see her being like a, a Darmstrang exchange student or, or something like that. <laughs> um, but, but just as like flavor in the world where no one seems to have had an interaction with her before this, except maybe Dumbledore. So it's kind of like she's kind of a, an anomaly in, in the Harry Potter, like Hogwarts uh, mini universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I think I could. Anyway, I I feel yeah, like I, I could just, piece it together if. Yeah, yeah. but it I mean, is it is kind of an interesting question not. because well, it's also I mean just like she sort of presents as one of those people who is probably younger than you think they are exactly. based on their personality, right? Yeah. Um, because I mean, her personality and the way she's described make you think that she's like kind of an old hag, but right. I th- I think but she's younger than. I, it feels like she's like forties. I think so. Which, which makes like all of the other things about her weird because then other people should like people should know her. People should have interacted with her, and just like not having that makes her that much more uh, maybe foreboding or, mm-hmm. or something like. Mm-hmm. But but also it feels like a gap. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like she kind of, like, sprung fully formed into the ministry to do that whole thing. Uh, are there any actual magical restrictions or limitations placed on house elves? Or is it purely cultural? No, there are, like, magical limits. Um, so, like, what you say to a house elf and what you order a house elf, elf under your domain to do... And how you phrase that matters. It sets particular bounds on what they are or are not able to do. So theoretically, Sirius could exert greater control over creature. I think so, yeah. He's just choosing not to just care. Uh, Yes, I think. And I think that that is Sirius has animosity towards creature. But I think the biggest sin is that he has indifference towards creature. It's a dangerous sin when it comes to yeah. something like that. Yeah. I mean, I also think that Sirius might be a little bit in the Hermione camp of things with he finds servitude uncomfortable, but we don't have any textual evidence for that. Yeah. But like, he, may, he may certainly find bondage uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any further ones, BJ? Yeah, the one from the beginning. What stuff's in your attic? I, I was going to jokingly say socks because I want to have an explanation for it. But one of them always just ends up disappearing at all times. <laughs> and given house elves, that would track. I've got a house elf independence movement occurring in my crawl space. Oh, it sounds like you need more socks, Spencer. I do and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll find all the other ones. 
I um, we have a lot of Star Wars memorabilia <laughs> that yeah. has already formed a sort of creature like nest in the basement. Mm-hmm. I feel like that might migrate piece by piece up to the so attic. It, it'd be very funny depending on which house elf you had. Which you know, did they do they lean light side or dark side in terms of their collection? <laughs> That's true. All of the Yodas are left, but all of the Stormtrooper-related items have <laughs> disappeared. What about you, BJ? Uh, I feel like I'd have a very drunk house elf, because I have, like... I, oh, you would. I, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I uh, have a tendency to, like... I, I really enjoy trying things, and whiskey is one of them. And so I have so many almost finished bottles of like whiskey and, and other random things like that, that, that there would be like, uh, like the end of a box of chocolates or, or, uh, some sort of snack. And there'd just be like the last dregs of like everything in the house would just disappear. And I'd be like, I thought I had a little bit more of that. And this would be really, really dangerous too, because we've seen that house elves are completely schnozzled on butterbeer, so... Yeah, this would go really poorly. <laughs> like, the house would, would, like, fall down every so often. Mm. You... God. <laughs> You've just got blackout elves <laughs> littered around your house. Blackout elves exactly. in crawl space is a nightmare they when They put things them. back, you know, when they sobered up, but just every so often, the entire thing would crumble. crumble. We'd, like, stare around, they'd sober up and be, like, back like nothing ever happened. Just like, what? what is this? Oh man! Um, so are we ready? this is one of the first times that uh, Spencer. I, I think you're not in a physical copy, but the the new chapter is on a facing page rather than an opposite page. So it's mm. on the right side rather than the left side. So we get there. I I immediately saw what the picture was. Uh, Spencer, I think you're going to be deeply uncomfortable. Uh, it's fine. chapter chapter twenty five. The beetle, beetle at bay. bay, and an image that has nothing to do with any of that. Spencer, would you like to describe what we're seeing here? Uh, uh, what looks like a really shit Valentine's Day uh, uh, <laughs> date that they're on. Neither of them look into it. There's a weird cherub or cupid kind of figure floating over with hearts and active transit behind it. Yeah, and ch- only coming from Harry, which makes it all the worse. Yeah, Cho looks annoyed to even be present. Harry does look like he has a nice cable knit sweater on, though. Harry did dress up. Even got his hair to make something resembling. No, actually, not really. More more sense than usual from what Harry's described as. I'm gonna guess that Hermione did not knit this sweater. Probably not. This is a Mrs. Weasley sweater. We I know he's so. gotten yeah. regular Mrs. Weasley sweaters. Yeah. Also, I I do have to ask you, Sarah, a, a fashion question, which is white socks in dark shoes. Um, I feel like that that's a very young thing, not a 16-year-old thing, but maybe it's back in. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I feel like this is this feels like a very 90s phase. Mm. <laughs> and like I think we are technically in the 90s yeah. in the timeline of the books. Um Yeah, I think this would be like 90 late 90s maybe at this point maybe 95 um but part of the reason that i also say that is that the like this striped dress that she is depicted as wearing Mm -hmm. with said sort of like saddle shoes and or they're not they're mary janes which are also very 90s um mary janes and white socks like it's all doing a sort of like clueless picture Mm -hmm. 
it, it may be notable that I just Googled this to see what the, what the fashion trends in the subject were, and the first link was a Reddit link of where it is simply uh, Redditors that wear uh, black shoes with white socks. Why on earth do you do that? So <laughs> I, I think they're talking about a different type of shoe and a different type of sock. <laughs> perfectly possible. <laughs> Spencer, do you do this? Do I wear black shoes and white socks? Yes. Like dress shoes? Maybe. Like I, I have a black pair of sneakers. And I wear white socks with those, sure. But dress shoes, no. Even I have rules, BJ. Apparently I mean, I just happen to know that you have a lot of white socks. <laughs> Not as so many as when you started. Huh. huh. All right, well, on that note, <laughs> this has been fun, guys. 